Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like listening to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Crazy youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and by my side today are Neil Kulkane. Hello there. And Taylor Parks. Hello. The tripod that is Team ATV Land has been reassembled once more, and I just know that the dam of pop and interesting things that have happened to them is about to break. Well, you know, Evelyn Waugh famously said, the Second World War wasn't bad, provided you were with nice people. Mm. And the main problem I've found with this half-arsed 21st century attempt at wartime is that you're not with nice people. No. You're with yourself. Mm. So because, as a former music journalist, all I ever do is jump on bandwagons, uh, <laughs> I went and bought myself a posture corrector. Um, yes! So, so I could be just like you. So now, as if the hours of COVID emptiness weren't miserable enough, I'm now spending several of them every day in mild discomfort with my thumbs going numb. Um, oh, we're going to leave such nice straight corpses, aren't we? In, a, in our yeah, backs yeah. when the layer's out in the square. Soon I will not look slouchy anymore to oh, the man. zero people who, who can see me. Um, <laughs> they're good, though. Which, what, what brand did you get? Old Ooh. Crusher. <laughs> or, uh, I got one called The Grim Inevitability of Death. Nice. I, don't know what, I don't know why they chose that name. It's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Makes makes me think of the grim inevitability of death. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, I've lost mine. I don't know how no, you managed to lose, you lose one of them. I know. I, don't, I, I think I flung it off in disgust and anguish or something, and I just mm. cannot find it. I don't know where it is. Have you checked uh, between your shoulder blades? It's definitely not there. Maybe the cat's had it. I don't know what the cat would have it for. I don't know, but I've, I've lost mine. That's my excuse anyway. You know when people lose their glasses... And they go, oh, they're on my head. <laughs> you have checked, right? I have. Has your daughter not nicked it and put some ACDC patches on it? Well, no. Uh, my, my elder daughter might have catapulted it away from the house in sheer disgust. Oh, man. But I thought 
Like when I take my posture corrector off, because I obviously want to put it somewhere, but I don't want to put it somewhere visible in a sense, just in case someone visits. Mm. I throw it behind chairs. Oh, um, and I've checked all the chairs in the house and it's just, I know, I feel really bad about it actually. Although to be fair, it's already done a fair fair amount of good work, to be honest with you. Excellent. It just takes a couple of weeks and you're standing up straight. Wow. I haven't worn mine since we last recorded and talked about it. <laughs> I can see it now. I can look over my shoulder and see it now hanging off the key in the uh, on on the wardrobe, <laughs> like like a conquest from a long forgotten sex life. I put mine on and I hear this creaking noise, like a, a cartoon door opening. No, Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't had a haircut since February. Right, so it's pretty crazy. Look, the only thing I can do at this point is just slick it all back so that it looks neat. Mm. But that leaves Mm. big curved fronds poking out on either side at the back of my neck. (laughs) It's a look I call Monty Python Series Three, which is appropriate (laughs) enough for someone whose only current activity is arguing in their spare time. Uh, And I can't. I know I can't complain. Being the most astute member or the most astute male member of the chart music squadron. But it, it is, yeah. it's no fun walking around looking like a tired dog. As well as feeling like a dead one. Don't you have like Cockney street barbers? Go to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with um, safety razors. They also sell pies. I'm not going there. <laughs> Actually, Taylor, your use of the word her suit reminds me of the woman that I knew who thought that her suit meant nevertheless and used it in business correspondence for years. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Always tickled me that. Did you take that government quiz to to see what you should retrain as? (laughs) It's very useful. I did it, and uh, I thought very carefully about all of the questions, and Hmm. in the end it suggested that I should be a stunt performer um, <laughs> now, I would have told them that I'm in my late 40s, I've got an anxiety disorder, and I have no experience of stunt work. But they, uh, they didn't get ask. that cannon, boy. <laughs> they didn't ask. But, you know, but then again, I keep myself in shape, um, mm-hmm. and I've got nothing to live for, so what the hell? <laughs> I might look into it. I might fall from a tall building, might roll a brand new car. Because I'm the unknown stuntman that, who made Redford such a star. It's not such a terrible life, is it, really? No. Even though when you wind up in the hay, it's only hay, a hay, hay. hay. That's not <laughs> ideal. But otherwise, I mean, kids need to understand this, right? The, the, even though writing, acting, filmmaking is no longer financially viable, mm. the world will always need stuntmen. Um, yeah, that's what my old headmaster used to say to me. If you, if you can grab your chest like you've been shot, fall forwards off a roof, and <laughs> flip over in the air so you land on your back in a pile of cardboard boxes, you'll never go hungry. <laughs> I did that. I got bingo caller. <laughs> And crew PA, which I've already fucking done. Mm. It's like, no government, you can't take me back into that life, <laughs> bastards. That is eerie, though, isn't it? Yeah. They know you. I didn't get Mel Stripper, though. I was upset by that. <laughs> Even their shitty algorithms know I can't do that anymore <laughs> and expect to earn a living out of it. Yeah, the other thing I've been doing, I've been on the trail of a bloke called James Henderson, uh, a man with a grudge. He's a YouTube oh, no. commenter 
whose work <laughs> appears underneath many YouTube videos relating to the program Steptoe and Son. Right. Uh, not the actual episodes of Steptoe and Son, as far as I can see, but videos relating to it. Right. And more specifically, uh, the cast. For instance, on, hang on, on a video titled Harry H. Corbett Interview Thames Television 1975, YouTube member Eric G has left a message which says, what a wonderfully honest and extremely talented actor. Mm. To which James Henderson has replied, he was a hammy over actor. No. So glad he smoked himself to death so early. I wish he'd smoked 120 cigarettes a day <laughs> instead of only 60 a day. Oh, That's fair enough. Then on the video, <laughs> Wilfred Bramble pays tribute to Harry H. Corbett, brackets incomplete. One Andrew Hubbard comments, they couldn't have casted it better. Harry and Wilfred were made for the roles. Q. James yeah. Henderson, who replies, Corbett looked way too old to be the son. He looked 45 in the first episode. Uh, so then Michael Jarrett says, Steptoe and Son was and always will be the funniest British comedy out yeah. there. To which James Henderson says, the series was just racist crap. So <laughs> he's got a social conscience, mm. um, as can also be seen from another of his many comments on this particular video, where he makes an evidence-free allegation that Wilfred Bramble sexually abused children in Jersey. Mm. So we turn to Harry H. Corbett, Rare Interview 1972, where... The possibly pseudonymous Donald Trump remarks, <laughs> never realised how good looking the guy actually was. Uh, at which point, James Henderson swings through the picture window on a vine <laughs> and says, he was an ugly, bold twat who smoked 60 cigarettes a day. Jesus. Um, and on it goes, the video, uh, Steptoe and Son, Harry H. Corbett's daughter on the one show, BBC, J. Robb offers, Harry H. Corbett is the most underrated actor ever. God bless you, mm. Harry. In response, Hendo, he was just a talentless, overacting ham. But... This video is where it all comes to a head when the user Forever Red pumps up his chest, pulls himself up to his full height and says, uh, his voice no doubt quivering with emotion, James Henderson. For over eight years as James Henderson and the alias Harold Jameson, you have done nothing but make slanderous about Harry H. Corbett. A solicitor is putting together everything you have said. Enough is enough. It's a heartfelt speech and a completely hollow threat. So this is James Henderson, right? A man with a legitimate beef, you might think, if sort of overzealous, mm. sitting at home in the dark watching old Walker's snaps adverts while clenching and unclenching his fists. But I love him, right? And the, I've, one thing I noticed, though, is that his current YouTube account has only existed for a year. Perhaps he was... Indeed, cowed by the legal threats of Forever Red. But he's back under the same name. He has 11 subscribers, despite uploading no videos. And he does appear to have... Are you one of them? Okay, he's now got 12 subscribers. <laughs> but he's got over this kind of weird negative obsession with the, the gentle giant of British comedy. Uh, and he's found a new bet noir. His, his three most recent comments are on the video, Margaret Thatcher, the minor strike British economy, TVI 1985. He says, I'm glad we closed the coal mines. 
a lot of the video Arthur Scargill interview Miner Strike TVI <laughs> 1984 he offers so glad we closed the coal mine <laughs> Uh, and on the video, Arthur Scargill Miners, Thames Television, 1974, just one week ago, uh, he contributes the comment, I am glad we closed the coal mine. Uh, and unfortunately, the only bite he's had so far is from Andrew Hurst, who quips, not if you wear a miner. Ah, touche. Oh, yeah, uh, mm. So, yeah, all I can say is, look out. Bernard Breslau or yes. Clive Jenkins or, or possibly, I don't know, uh, Brian Jacks. Uh, you, you may be next. And you don't want that. So what else have you been up to, Neil? Well, what have I been up to? I've been, um, I've, I've been all dramatic and stuff and dynamic. Mm. Um, I quit a job <gasps> and I got promoted in another job. I, I feel like Ali McBeal or something. <laughs> um, you know, like a young, sexually adventurous female lawyer. Mm. moving and shaking my way to the top with needy Brakow sh- soundtrack. It's all been happening for me, you know. But before you say anything, Ali McBeal, I remember a conversation I had in a pub with one of my mates about Ali McBeal, and I never watched it, and he had mm. to because he had a girlfriend. And <laughs> right. I said, well, what's it about then? And he just said, it's about this woman who hallucinates because she never has a proper tea. <laughs> 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 but anyway... Yeah, I mean, the only difference really between me and her is, is, yeah, her life is all lattes and biscottis and mine is just tea and blue ribbons. But in a similar way, <laughs> I'm, I'm, being, I'm being very dynamic at the moment in a way that ill behoves me, to be honest with you. Mm. I quit a job for the first time in my life, um, which I've never done before. I took a principled stand and quit a job, but it was so rushed. I didn't kind of get to do all the things you know, that you rehearse in your mind when you daydream yeah. about those moments, you know, sticking your V's up at everyone that you want to stick your V's up at and blowing mm. raspberries and leaving it. But God, it felt good. I left a hateful yeah. job fundamentally that was really bringing me down and I immediately felt the mental and physical benefit um, after doing it. But but now I'm teaching more at uni, really. And I'm in one of those yeah. curious sort of circular moments of serendipity, I find myself teaching like a module authored by... Um, ever at true <laughs> my old Whoa. boss which is really quite strange but it, it, it's a strange module because i have to moderate debates which i've never done um in a classroom before um t- <laughs> what you like trisha well pretty much and i'm not i'm not good at it i'm, I'm really not good at it because I, I you know I, I keep just sticking my massive oar in as you can imagine you, do you tell people you that you they're not stepping up to the mark <laughs> or, or, or are you more of a graham sort well well I, I can't do it. I mean, uh, you know, suffice to say, my pedagogic style, if we're talking in teacher jargonese, it, it is not Socratic, mm. it's dictatorial. I kind of just want them to accept my opinions. But luckily, the mm. subject... Conform, conform. I like Nicky Campbell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I suppose I'm a bit like Anna Subra used to be, like on Central Weekend. But, but um, yes. the subjects have kind of varied from those that are interesting... Um, to the kids, i.e. stuff about TikTok, which I have no idea about whatsoever, to some topics that kind of twist all our minds up, like, you know, can music be objectively bad? I think we've proved that many a time (laughs) and often. The one that kind of wound me up the most is one that I actually suggested. I suggested the topic, there has never been a better time to be a music fan. And um, Mm. this wasn't like mindful of COVID or anything. I was just talking in general um, you know, it's better to be a music fan now. And, and I was just massively disappointed to see that many of the young 
seemed to be laboring under the misapprehension that things were were better back in the day. Mm. I've tried my hardest to disabuse them of this notion, but they love, you know, our era, the 70s and 80s. They love it. Yeah. I've told them I was there and it was shit, mm. but they're, they're outraged by that kind of stuff. The collective gasps of outrage you get when you say to a bunch of kids that, I don't know, just a simple truth like Oasis is shit or something. Yeah. It's ridiculous um, how outraged they are. It shows what a stranglehold the kind of John Harris type cunts have over the discourse, I guess. Mm. They've really enjoyed the debates the kids. I found it massively, massively frustrating because I just want to stick my oar in um, in a big way. So yeah, new new challenges at work, let's put it that way. Taylor, is this the best time to be a music fan? Come on, let's do Neil's debate right now. <laughs> it's probably the best time to be a music fan in your 40s. Yes. Because, well, look, exactly. it's like David Stubbs always used to have this argument that this, whatever the year is, this year is always the best year to be a music fan because mm. all the music that's ever existed still exists and some more, Yes, which is, mm. you know, yeah. fairly convincing. But I think that does apply more when your experience of music is at home rather than if you actually want to engage physically in terms of your life, you know, doing stuff. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know because to me, from where I stand, it looks like modern engagement with music is just paying £250 to stand amongst a forest of raised iPhones but I mean it probably <laughs> isn't just that you know what I'm saying no, no. in the same way that if I was this age in the 70s I'd be like who wants to go and just get gobbed on you know what I mean yeah there's a <laughs> bit more to it than that I don't know maybe there's a bit more to it than that yeah, well, well, for me, from a young age, being a music fan wasn't really about going to gigs or feeling like you belong. It was about being in your bedroom listening to music. So mm. there's never been a better time to be in your bedroom listening to music because there's no. more of it and you can get more of it. So it was simple for me. What what um, aggravated me about the kids' responses was what they were appealing to in the past. They They thought, you know... Old music was more authentic, more soulful, all of these things. And I, I bitterly resist that notion. Proper music played on proper instruments. Well, quite, quite. Yeah. I'm going to have some fucking arguments for these kids in the coming years. I really am. For someone of my age, it's absolutely brilliant being a music fan because it's all the stuff that I've always liked throughout my life, but more of it. Mm. You know, I can see gigs and television performances by bands that I fucking love that I'd never get the chance to see before. And nowadays, what what have kids got? What's you know when when, when some poor bastards, like twenty years from now, talk about the music of two thousand and twenty or cunty twenty, as I like to call it, what they're going to talk about? Oh, there was these two women talking about how they had a fanny that was dripping like a broken freezer. That's it. You know, am I saying that musicians of today are shit compared to the ones in the past? No, of course not. There must be loads of them, but I'm not hearing them. I'm not able to hear them. I'm always fighting against my uh, first impression. like Because I do listen to a lot of modern music, and I'm always thinking, there's a lot of good music around, but there's not very much great music around. Mm. And first of all, I'd have to tell myself that's probably wrong because I'm looking at it through a, a, a filter of my own age and cynicism. And secondly, yeah. it's just a weird way of looking at it anyway. Like, who cares? you got a point because you, you look at pop music nowadays and you just think, well, I don't like this. But then you immediately think, well, yeah, it's not for me though, isn't it? These people aren't sitting around going, oh, there's some bloke in Nottingham who's 52 years old. <laughs> or that's who we've got to appeal to. Yeah, of course yeah. they're not thinking that. But the problem is 
people of my generation are the only fuckers who actually want to pay decent money mm. for, for music. So they better fucking start appealing to me, is all I'm saying. Well, like a, a teak box set. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter if we like it or not. You know, our ears are not tutored in perhaps uh, some of the sounds that are coming out. But I mean, the thing is, I think what's missing is the yearning. What what I remember of release yeah. dates for records, I'd fucking yes. wait for them, you know, and I, I'd be at the record shop. I'd tease myself walking around the record shop, knowing what I was going to buy, but just pretending mm. I didn't know what I was going to buy and then <laughs> buying it and all of that. And I think that's gone to a certain extent. Yeah. The only advance notice you get usually is somebody saying, I'm going to drop a track tomorrow, you know, on their Insta or whatever, uh, which yeah. gives you like 24 hours of yearning i guess but some fuckers probably already leaked it already so yeah that that gap in between knowing something's happening with somebody that you love and hearing it has has gone Mm. maybe what they should do say i'm dropping something new tomorrow is the lyrics for it and the credits go and print them out and then sit on a bus and look at them (laughs) yeah 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 i keep meaning to do a proper dive into modern hip-hop like the 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 popular stuff just purely because whenever i see a modern rapper it's always like some guy, he's got like green hair and purple eyes and his <laughs> yeah. whole face is covered in a tattoo of somebody else's face. And yeah. he's called like X391 hyphen hyphen six six gzg. And he's it's like, and everyone's going, oh yeah, he's killed 19 people. He's been in jail since he was four. He <laughs> has to record all his albums over the phone. And I'm thinking, well... I don't know if this is any good or not, but at least it's like what I thought pop music would be like when I was in my 40s, when I was in my 20s. Because the whole support system around pop music has gone. Mm. You know, Mm. there's no heavyweight music press. There's no lightweight music press. There's no top of the pops. But there is a chart music. And the reason there is still a chart music is because of all those lovely pop crazed Patreons who make our G-strings swell with glee. Let's hear all about them. In the $5 section this month, Queen Air, David Gregg, Sonic Tiller, James Cooks, Cold Air, Andy Wilson, Robin Goad. Richie McCormack, Richard Evans, Joe O'Donnell, Sylvain, Guy Wilmot, Johnny Mohan, Paul H, Emma Murray, Neil Comfort, Riley Briggs, Kelly N. Wiggin, Julian Parre, and Gordy McNair. Oh, thank you, babies. Cheers, guys. Cheers. And in the $3 section, we have Paul Condon, Nick Warbank, Rob Abbott, Ocko, and Liam Daler. Oh, and Pete Boardman and Chris Adams, you whacked your donation right up, didn't you? <laughs> James Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Sylvain is, is David Sylvian called to the chart music flame by your excellent impersonations of him? Up? Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> Don't forget, all those people in the $5 section, they're listening to the full episode right now. None of this advert and having to wait a whole fucking 24 hours for the next bit, bollocks. They're getting it all now. They're cramming it into their gaping maws. Well, more like their ears, but you you know what I mean. And And the $3 section people, they get the full episode without adverts a couple of days later. Mm, Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) And of course, one other thing they get to do is to dish out the Judy Zook satin tour jackets and tinker and tamper with the latest chart music top 10. Shall we have at it, chaps? Hit the fucking music! (laughs) 
We've said goodbye to Taylor Parks' 20 romantic moments, mm-hmm. Dusty Shelbyville, Priapic Price, the oh. posh grebs from the nice estate, and Mr. Neil Kulkarni's stomach, which means none <laughs> up, four down, one non-mover, three new entries, and two re-entries. It's a new entry at number 10 for Fine Time Fontaine. <laughs> a re-entry at number 9, Dave D, Creeper, Twat and Cunt. <laughs> Last week's number 4 is down four places to number 8, The Treacherous Death. <laughs> down one place from number 6 to number 7, here comes Chiseler. <laughs> He's back in at number six. It's a re-entry for Jeff Sex. Yes. (laughs) Into the top five, and it's no change at five for spiteful Armored Bollock. This week's number four is last week's number one, Suicide featuring Donna. (laughs) Into the top three, and it's a one-place drop for Bummer Dog. A new entry at number two, Simon Price's arsehole material, which means... (laughs) The highest new entrance, straight in at number one, it could only be CFAX Data Blast. Oh, you know what I'm going to say now. What a fucking chart that is. What a chart. Lost so many good things, but even more good things shoved in. Oh, yeah, and the re-entries as well, Al. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jeff Sex, man, he's back. And also, CFAX Data Blast at number one. I think that's right. Yeah. That reflects what a modern show we are. Yeah, it's, it's the Newman moment, isn't it, for the chart it music is. top ten. <laughs> so CFAX Data Blast, is that a band or a, or, or a person? It's more a sort of a, a loose collective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of boffins. Fine Time Fontaine, well, obviously, you know. His cover of You've Picked a Fine Time to Leave Me, Lucille. (laughs) B-side, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. (laughs) Um, Spiteful Armour Bollocks still hanging about, man. Yeah, isn't he just? Fucking hell. Um, Simon Price's arsehole material. (laughs) What is that? I'm just picturing fishnets and spandex. Can't get it out of my head now. Hmm. Do you reckon Here Comes Jism have just got that one publicity, like the Bee Gees, where it was always the same publicity shot on the top of the pop chart. They were always in the chart. It was always that picture of them in the white leaning on each other. Yeah. That Jism really is tenacious, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Just endlessly uh, uh, reloading. and. uh... (laughs) Okay, stop now. So, if you want to get involved in all of this sexy, sexy chart action and get chart music and keep us eating and living and all that shit, you know what you've got to do. Get them little fingers right now. Take them over to the keyboard. Tip and a tap. Patreon.com slash chart music and pledge and pledge and pledge. Thank you. You don't have to, but it's nice if you would. Yeah, do pledge because we're standing up straight now. All yes. Of us, for you. <laughs> Yes, we're standing up straight. We're erect only for you. (laughs) (laughs) This episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, takes us all the way back to May the 25th, 1978. Can't believe this. I always say, 
mainly to myself because I forget to say when we're recording that you know we've mm. done 54 episodes of chart music now and I still contend we have only just begun to scratch the surface of Top of the Pops because unbelievably this is only the second time that we've walked down 1978 street and that is wrong don't you think? Yeah, that's odd, isn't it? It's fucking mental. Yeah. It's strange that we've not done 78 before. I know. It, 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 although it perhaps doesn't reach the dizzy heights of 79 and 81 and all that, it's, it's not a bad year. It, no. It's an odd year, though, because it feels a lot closer, in a sense, to 75, say, yeah. than it does anything in the late 80s. We're definitely still deep in the 70s. Yeah. It, even though punk's happened... It still feels like, for me, it feels as as warm and glowy as a kind of 1975 episode, in a sense. Mm. Um, there's not that much attitude being copped. Mm. But 78 is actually a really good year, a nice mix of stuff. We've groped towards a consensus that 1979 and 1981 are the pinnacles of pop music, with a slight lean towards 1979. But before 1979 was 1979, it had to be 1978 first. And I think a lot of the things... <laughs> that we like about 1979 are already in place. Uh, yeah. We've already said that 1980 doesn't kind of like reach those heights simply because there were a load of shitty number ones. Yeah. Well, in 1978, it it was mainly dominated by one film. Yeah. Yeah, but I always think that with 1978, the reason why it's not completely brilliant yet is that streams haven't joined yet. And there's mm. a lot of the time there's a bit of a tussle between, on the one hand, like hungover slobs, identically dressed in jeans and mm. leather with zips, yeah. uh, sort of belching and performatively picking their noses, and you know, playing <laughs> that sort of music with the the texture and grace of fifteen year old concrete, while people smash pint glasses over each other's heads, <laughs> and they're representing truth and integrity <laughs> and a, a revolutionary tradition. And on the other hand, clean young people expressing themselves physically to the sound of swooning strings and angelic vocal harmonies, participating in a genuine grassroots lower-class cultural phenomenon. And they're representing conformity and ignorance and shallow commercialism. Yes. It's like, Mm. which side are you on? You know what I mean? It's only really 79, 80 where... You know, there's a few people in this episode who've seen already that these things are not really in opposition, but it, yeah. it takes another year or so for the penny to really drop. Yeah, and for me as a metal fan, 78's kind of, it's the year before people started he- uh, laughing at heavy metal, as far as I'm concerned. There's still <laughs> yeah. heavy rock bands around, but I don't know, Maiden and Priest haven't really risen to that level of sort of dominance, whereby metal is laughed at by the rest of music fans. So, you know, bands in biker jackets and wearing jeans that aren't punk bands are playing quite, you know, that fast, as it were, um, <laughs> and not laughed at yet. That they're they're just, they're just really good rock and roll bands. Still, they're not yeah. they're not tainted with that kind of ridiculousness of metal quite yet. Yeah, I mean, I usually ask the question when we start on a new or newish year. You know, when I say the music of 1978, what immediately springs to mind? But it's a pointless question here because judging by this episode, practically all human life is here. I think the only thing that's missing is reggae, isn't it? Mm. But I mean, when I think from my vantage point of the of the music of 78, you know what dominates and it's what it is, like you say, Al, it's one yeah. film. Two films, actually. Well, yeah, two films and two album soundtracks. Yeah, also, it's not quite the Aventis yet. 
No. It's, there's mm. corners of culture where the Avenses have already begun. Mm. Like, I mean, there's an episode of the always hilarious post-punk youth TV show Something Else yes. from later this year, where, for reasons that have slipped my mind, uh, a young man from the Avenses interviews a woman from the 70s, which <laughs> is visually really strange. Um, mm. And that's possibly a transitional moment. Uh, but, I mean, as I always say, the first series of The Professionals, yes. filmed in 1977, but already transmitted on ITV by the time this Top of the Pops went out, mm. is quite clearly set in the Avensies, mm. even to the point of featuring uh, Suzanne Danielle with short hair in yes. a kimono-style dressing gown. So <laughs> really, that change is underway, and it's just a matter of waiting for the for the fuse to burn down, you know. Mm. And there will be straight-leg slacks in Foster Brothers by year's end. You can't <laughs> stop progress. Just go out now and buy a massive microwave oven. Be ahead of the game. <laughs> Let's get stuck in. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to do it. That so. weird kadunk that yeah, lights long- going off makes for some reason in film. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden get divorced, and so do David and Angie Boer. Don't know if the two were linked, but you never know, it was the 70s. David Steele, the leader of the Liberal Party, has announced that the Lib Lab Pact will be dissolved at the end of the current parliamentary session, leaving the country with a minority Labour government. The Unabomber detonates his first bomb at a university in Illinois. The Foreign Legion has dispatched a Zaire to rescue Europeans trapped in the middle of a civil war. The Daily Mirror runs a week-long expose on Joyce McKinney, the former beauty queen who kidnapped and chained up a Mormon missionary she fancied in Devon, and reveals that she had a career as a vice queen and publishes loads of photos of her in the nip. The Who 
play a gig at Shepperton Studios for the forthcoming retrospective film The Kids Are Alright this very evening, their last ever gig with Keith Moon. A 17-year-old girl who's in a coma for 19 days after a car crash comes out of it after a visit from her favourite band, Show Waddy Waddy. England, after beating Scotland 1-0 in the home internationals, go on to batter Hungary at Wembley. Headlining the Daily Mirror this very day, we are the masters now. (laughs) (laughs) But the big news this week is that Alan Jones of Melody Maker has been biffed by Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath before a gig in Glasgow after he described him as looking like a gypsy violinist in an Earl's Court pizza parlour <laughs> and the Italian contestant in next year's Eurovision Song Contest <laughs> during an interview written in 1974. <laughs> Quote from an article in this week's Melody Maker about the incident. Jones writes, You're Alan Jones, ain't you? scowled Iome in that comical accent that so afflicts those unfortunate to have been born in the colourful vicinity of Birmingham. Oh, I've got a bound to pick with you, he continued, sounding like one of the more anonymous stars of Crossroads. I laughed. Tone looked annoyed. You won't be laughing in a minute, he glowered, his whiskers bristling. His finely judged left hook, a blur out of nowhere, at least convinced me that his talent is less musical than pugilistic and left me with a viciously split lip, spouting more blood than you've seen in the climax of the wild bunch. <laughs> Disgraceful behaviour. Yeah, I wouldn't fuck with Tony Iommi. He looks like he can handle himself. Although he does also look like all of Alan's descriptions of him mm. just then as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. See, I was quite disappointed. Well, not disappointed, but the legend of this is that he got the, like, the shit beaten out of him by Tony. You read this, he only got hit him once. Mm. Yeah, a bit, of, a bit of a letdown, isn't Chinese it? Chinese whispers, because I'd I'd heard that he he was like whipped with a chain or something, not <laughs> some sort of sexual thing, but like he'd been tied to railings or something and beaten, you know, ab- the absolute shit beaten out of him. <laughs> um, but Jones, you can make anything convincing. Greatest editor I ever worked for. Yeah. Also, he had to have his stomach pumped. <laughs> <laughs> It's terrible, isn't it? Because we hear all these stories about musos beating up music journalists. But has, has it ever been the other way around? Has a music journalist ever just laid one on a fucking muso? I've often thought that. That you should do it. Like, the, the, if you give them a bad review and then they come up and try and hit you. If it's just they played a really shit gig, just go up to them and just headbutt them. Go, that was shit. <laughs> Bang. It's like, you know, that's what I call, uh, that's what I call criticism. Mm. But truth be told, most of the music journalists I know... Uh, I, I, they can't handle themselves to a certain extent. They're not violent types. No. Um, and if even if they wanted to be... You're, you're it, a writer, not a fighter. Well, quite. I mean, I have seen uh, the aforementioned Everett True actually attempting to beat up Simon Price. but it, it That was, was just, hilarious. It was just a pathetic <laughs> sight all round, really. That was really funny. What was that about? That was um, in the in the Reading, as I recall, it was at Reading Festival. And yeah. um, I think it was in the bar afterwards at the Marriott Hotel. And uh, I think Pricey was talking about Dex's Midnight Runners, and <laughs> y- you can't talk about Dex's Midnight Runners in front of in front of Everett because only he understands them and only he gets oh, them. No. So he he just like ploughed up to Simon and started punching him rather ineffectively, I have to say, in the arm. 
I think. <laughs> yeah, in the um, arm. You don't understand, Dexes. You don't get them. Yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> but um, fairly pitiful sight, I think. Yeah, he's trying to hit him because he also likes Dex's Midnight Runners. Yeah. <laughs> but hang on, wasn't there... You know, Guns N' Roses did a song about... Get in the ring. Get in the ring, that's Mm. right. Didn't it turn out that one of the people who in that song Axl Rose invited to get in the ring uh, was like a jiu-jitsu black belt or something (laughs) and sent him a message saying, any time, Axl, you choose the time and the place, I'll be there. At which point he just stopped doing that song. (sighs) Got a feeling Tony Omi... He's pretty in quite a lot of fights, wasn't he? <laughs> you know, win or lose on the booze. Yeah, yeah. On the cover of Melody Maker this week, Jethro Tull. <laughs> Jethro fucking Tull. Nineteen seventy-eight. Everyone it might as well have been a Uriah Heap or something. Yes. Fucking out. <laughs> on the cover of Looking, Leaf Garrett. On the cover of Record Mirror, Hugh Cornwell of the Stranglers, painted half black and naked, cupping his bits. I don't know if he painted himself half black or just stripped off and laid on his kitchen table. You don't know with the Stranglers, do you? That's an atrocious cover, that. If you read the feature, it's made very clear. (laughs) That's Seriously, that's how fucking bored and how little to do I've had I read the feature. The number one LP this week is, of course, the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. 20 Golden Greats by Nat King Cole is number two, and the highest placed new LP, and then there were three by Genesis. That's the thing about punk, it gave the music industry the kick up the arse it needed. (laughs) (laughs) Over in America, the number one single is Night Fever by the Bee Gees, and the number one LP is the soundtrack to Saturday Night Fever. So me boys, what were you doing in May of 1978? Well, um, I mean, I was five, going on six. Mm. Uh, in my last few months at Stoke Lodge School, j- just kind of getting used to the idea that the older you got as a school kid, the shitter things got, in a sense. Yes. The, 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 the little kids got all the good stuff. Because I remember starting school, you know, like three when I was in infants or whatever, or four. And the school dinners were fucking amazing. They yeah. were like, you'd see these big steaming sort of metal trays of shepherd's pie being carried aloft <laughs> for your dinner. And then by the time we were five... It was like, here's your savoury uh, lump of cheese, and here's your, no. here's your pudding and apple. You know, no. it's just got... Oh, yeah, we had that for dinner once. It was it was just got rubbish. Oh, so just a lot of rubbish dinners. Lots of fingers on lips in the corridor. Music and movement in my pants. Not movement in my pants, obviously. I mean, I mean the lesson <laughs> music and movement in my pants um, on the top floor. Music and movement in my pants would have been a great title <laughs> for Saturday Night Fever. Or, or the stud. but yeah i mean well i mean the thing is because i was only five you know trying to trying to remember these times it is all a bit foggy was this the year that i got my head split open by a school bell maybe Mm. was this the year that i kicked my sister in the face and thought i'd killed her yeah probably but it's all a bit foggy It, it, it was i do remember though this year getting tremendously excited, probably around this time that this episode came out, because it would have been very close to Coventry Carnival time. Ooh. And uh, Coventry Carnival was just, just well, you can imagine mm. um, the combination of a carnival with Coventry. Yeah. Um, it was it was magnificent. <laughs> Did you have a Lady uh, Godiva? 
We did, yeah, yeah. yearly. Uh, was um, she wearing fleshing? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, but actually, the lady Godiva, um, who, who took the role sort of in the early 70s, I think, and then just bossed it for the next, like, 20 years wow. that the carnival was still happening. Um, she was a lady called Prue Peretta, who, um, I don't know whether I should name her. No, I have named her now. Um, she's, um, she's still sort of Godivering about in Coventry. Wow. Whenever they need a Godiva, um, she's there, although she's knocking on a bit now. Good on um, I went to see her give a talk, actually, at one of my kids' schools. Um, <laughs> oh, and Yeah, I don't know what. I can't remember. On a horse but she's, in the nip. I remember, because as a child, like watching Prue Peretta go past on a white horse wearing mm, fleshings was, was, kind of, <laughs> was kind of intriguing. But um, she's really full of herself. Because oh, no. she's been Godiva for ages. So she just, she was talking to all these kids and all she was going on about was about how amazing she was. But, um, <laughs> Cobb Carnival, it was basically, it just seemed to be like, you, you know, you'd get your usual floats going up the high street and going up Warwick Road and that, um, with the scouts and the Rotary Club and all these people. It just seemed like an excuse for kind of mass transvestitism amongst, um, sort of bearded middle aged men. That seemed to be the, 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 the main purpose of of it um any excuse really yeah um for that kind of activity and that seemed to be what country carnival was about the travises of the community <laughs> well quite yes and all those hilarious characterful dads in your street <laughs> would would see cov carnival as an opportunity for for fun and being tom of bedlams and basically being unfunny but um cov carnival was a bit of a highlight and that's my biggest memory of, of 78 getting really excited about cov carnival i'm very surprised to hear that someone whose uh, main occupation was parading around nude was a bit of a narcissist mm. <laughs> that's unusual well 1978 me i was just absorbing the damp debility that sort of vague looming sense of threat and chaos of of mostly bad ideas that was the English late seventies. Oh, and um, fancying Carol Chell of oh, Play yes. School, mm. which I did. I was a reverse paedophile. Um, <laughs> you'll be relieved to know I grew out of it. <laughs> I turned ten at the beginning of this month, and I was finishing up the third year at Westglade Junior School, and I was fucking loving it. Mm. I was just enjoying being ten so much. Um, the things that come to mind in May of 1978 was, I began to discover what sex was, sort of, mainly because of what's starting to appear in the newspapers. You know, the Joyce McKinney story Mm. really sticks in my mind because (laughs) even then as a 10-year-old, you know, I was being told that here was a woman who actually wanted to have sex with someone for no reason apart from enjoying it. Yeah, And the newspapers were making such a fucking big deal about this. Mm. I mean, I can distinctly recall standing around in the school playground with my mates talking about Joyce McKinney. And, you know, there's just lads there with their arms folded and their foot on the ball saying, oh, well, if she wanted to do that to me, I'd say, oh, well, you go ahead, darling. And everyone <laughs> yeah. nodding and then someone <laughs> shouting bummer dog and there's all fucking scattering. <laughs> Music-wise, this is pretty much the month that uh, punk broke in our school. Hmm. I mean, in 1977, we didn't like punk, even though we'd never heard any of it, because we'd found out through the newspapers that punks didn't like Ted's, and our dads were all Ted's. Right. Um, uh. You know, we were still into Show Waddy Waddy, and then, you know, 
even now, we're still into darts and all that kind of mm. stuff. And we didn't like it when they wore swastikas yeah. because people who did that were all the baddies in the comics that we were reading at yeah. the time. So, But all of a sudden, yeah. here comes New Wave. And to our mind, a lot of the New Wave acts like Elvis Costello and Blonde, that, to us, they were punk. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Well, at, at the very least, they sounded what we thought punk ought to sound like. So we were starting to get into it and it became another thing to like. We didn't all switch to punk. But we, we mixed it into our 10-year-old diet. Yeah. <laughs> but the main thing, of course, is that I'm working myself into an absolute froth about the World Cup, which yeah. starts a week from tonight. Yes. This could well be the night before that my parents went to my school for a report night. And my teacher, Mr. Wright, took them into the classroom and showed them my art project, which was an entire wall filled with these massive cut-out footballers that he'd done for me. And I'd coloured all 16 of them in. And and then he pointed at them again and said, look at their faces. I'd done all of their faces apart from Scotland. They all had Hitler (laughs) moustaches. And they all had Hitler haircuts. So I'd done done Scotland. I think I did a beard for that one, a ginger beard. But everyone else, it was 15 Hitlers. That's how I think that's how I saw it. Scotland were going to Argentina to to face off against fifteen Hitlers. Mm. One week from this episode of Top of the Pops, mm. I got so excited, jumping up and down, waiting for the for the first game to come on, that I actually got a groin strain, and I had to sit and watch a nil nil draw between West Germany and Poland with my legs wide open and a bag of peas on me groin. <laughs> oh, mate. I mean, people say the best World Cup you'll ever have is the one nearest to your 10th birthday. And I've got to say that's the case for me. I mean, mm. not so much the actual tournament, but the fucking anticipation for it mm. and, and the reading of things and the buying of things and the, the stickers yeah. and, the, and the, the special TV Times where they had the TV Times logo in TV Times Tartan. Mm, yeah. that they designed themselves. Oh, fucking hell. I was so up for the World Cup. The, the front cover of uh, the Figurini Panini al- album yes. for the World Cup was a gorgeous thing. I remember coveting that immensely. Yes. But it's the thing about being 10, Al. You know, yeah. being in double figures, especially with sexuality. I, d- I, I seem to recall when I hit 10, which would have been a few years later, obviously, that's when people started using the word virgin as an insult. Yes. You know. Um, which had never happened before. Something happens at 10 where, of course, you've not had sex. You're 10, for fuck's sake. But, um, yeah, yeah, you fuck off, you virgin. Yeah, or a wanker. (laughs) You get called a wanker before you've even started wanking. That always always done my head in. At my school, when you're about 11, people would go around and go up to people and go, do you wank? Or, like, (laughs) do you masturbate? And the idea was that if they said yes, you'd go, ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. I would say if someone's 10, uh, you'd give them a little round of applause. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, well, hey. Yes. Well, hey, there's no stopping you. <laughs> <laughs> the best one I ever, the best retort I ever heard, though, was my mate. So because we go, do you wank? And he went, I don't have to. <laughs> nice. Someone, um, someone from my old school suddenly popped up on Facebook a couple of years ago and he just sent me a message saying, you, you, you did the best retort after you got debagged on the school field and was called Maggot Man. First day back at school, apparently, uh, uh, someone came up to me going, oh, Needham, you've got a really small cock. And I just turned around and said, well, at least I've got one. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's sharp, man. Uh, but then I realised it was a girl who said it to me. 
Yeah. So, you know. Murky waters. So, as is the styling chart music, we're going to stop for a moment and we're going to run a finger along the bookshelf. And put, well, not, not a bookshelf. That's fucking stupid. You don't put your old music <laughs> magazines in books. Unless they're Q, of course. We're going to dig through the crates and we're going to pull out a copy of one of the music papers from this very week. And this week, I have gone for the NME, May the 27th, 1978. Shall we leave through, chaps? Yeah, slats. On the cover, Public Image Limited, even though they're not called Public Image yet, with John Lydon in glasses and a white diamond patterned coat, Jar Wobble wearing neck curtains like a wedding veil, and Keith Levine in a fly mask and a T-shirt which reads, Never mind the blood clots, here's Jobson. And the title introducing Johnny Rotten's Lonely Hearts Club Band. In the news, rumours abound that Bob Dylan is pencilling in a massive extra open-air gig in July at the end of his European tour after all six of his gigs at Earl's Court next month have sold out and tickets are changing hands on the black market for up to £150. The gig does take place six weeks from today at Blackbush Airport in Surrey. It's one of Dylan's longest ever gigs and is supported by Eric Clapton, Joan Armour Trading and Graham Parker and the Rumour. None shall sleep. (laughs) Meanwhile, it's (laughs) revealed that Dylan has demanded that a bed be set up in his dressing room for the Earl's Court gigs so he can have a bit of a kip between the sound checks and the performance. That's for when the support acts were on. (laughs) The entire audience also requested one each, but they were denied. Someone's been stabbed at a Buzzcocks gig in Bradford after a National Front twat was set upon after chanting during their set. When the police turned up, they cut the PA, leaving the band to play an acoustic set with the audience singing along. <laughs> I bet I bet that National Front twat now has a very active Twitter account because he's so concerned about grooming gangs. Lord Snowden has been dispatched to Rio de Janeiro by the Sunday Times to take pictures of the new Sex Pistols lead singer, Ronnie Biggs, who was linked <sighs> up with Steve Jones and Paul Cook. Dearly done a bunk. <laughs> Fuck hell, that's Sex Pistols' artistic trajectory. Yes. <laughs> it's like that of Franz Reichelt in his homemade flying suit leaping from the Eiffel Tower. Yes. Except at least he stopped when he hit the ground. Yes. The Sex Pistols went on to record, no one is innocent, brackets, yeah. the biggest blow. Who would a, a Sex Pistols of today record with? Which criminal? Uh, mm. Julian Assange. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Or Maxwell's daughter. <laughs> yeah. Berkshire County Council are looking into creating a permanent music festival site at a currently disused US airbase, Greenham Common. The USAF want to convert it into a base for fuel tanker planes, but a spate of local protests over that idea and the high cost of policing for the Reading Festival is making the council consider moving it there. Margaret Thatcher gets elected the next year. The rest is history. <laughs> Roger Daltrey has bought the film rights to the biographer McVicker by himself about the armed robber's spell in prison. He's also announced who's going to play the title role. Roger Daltrey of The Who. There's his prison memoir subtitled, Watch Your Backs. Yes, the McVicker himself. Uh. Johnny Bivouac guitarist of Adam and the Ants, is now the ex-guitarist of Adam and the Ants. He left the band last weekend over 
personal differences. So anybody out there interested in being a number one band four decades ago needs to call Ander on 01584982 before they give the job to Matthew Ashman. That's 01584932. (laughs) Brian James, former guitarist of The Damned, has debuted his new band, Tansda Youth, in a support slot for the Stranglers in Brighton. Some great news stories here, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) The week in bleak. And Satro Records have announced their new signing. The Radio Luxembourg DJ Mike Reed, <laughs> who is also the host of the Yorkshire TV kids show Pop Quest. His debut single, Are You Ready, is out this weekend. Oh my God, have you heard this? No. <laughs> no, nor have I. I just wanted well, to. His, his 19th <laughs> debut single, you mean? <laughs> Fucking hell. The Week in Extra Bleak. Just, it's, Mike Reed is basically just one more shot. There's still time, and if it if it doesn't work out this year, I'll settle for the Radio One breakfast show. <laughs> Isn't it? it's, either way, it's a mansion in Weybridge, and no less than a man of such talent and application deserves. And not one person alive would begrudge it. Fucking <laughs> hell! Features. Neil Spencer, in his last interviewing gig before becoming editor of The Enemy next week, nips over to a pub in Edgware to meet John Lydon and his new band, who haven't settled on a name yet and are currently calling themselves the carnivorous buttock flies. Immediately, Lydon taps him for a fiver to get around in, as he's completely skint. I'm broke, completely penniless, there's no money coming in at all, nothing. He has it all referring to Talky Malke. After dropping in on a rehearsal a few days later, Spencer reports that whatever they turn out to be, they're not going to be Sex Pistols Part 2. Chris Salowitz gets to spend six pages nosing through Trenchtown, where he gets to see Tapazuke doing up a youth club, finds out that Junior Mervyn loved The Clash's cover of Police and Thieves and would like to work with them, discovers that Lee Perry charges $20 an hour for his production services and concludes that Trenchtown is no scabbier than parts of Leeds and Manchester 15 years ago and a lot sunnier. $20 $20 for Lee Perry. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. If only we'd have known that over here. Can you imagine him doing the Don Amok King of Caravans jingle? <laughs> Stuff like that. All the new Ident music for Central. Well, it would have been amazing. I mean, if, if Chris Salowitz concludes that Trench sounds no scabbier than bits of Leeds and Manchester, fair enough. But I suspect, I, I suspect it's a little bit more dangerous. Phil McNeil takes a trip to Wageningen on the Dutch-German border to see Grupo Sportivo, the second biggest band in Holland after Golden Earring, playing at a school assembly hall. He thinks they're rubbish live, but when they make their imminent tour of the UK, they should be given the sort of reception we gave Blondie last year. (laughs) And if they're not bigger than ABBA by the end of 1978, he'll eat his hat and his cat. Have you ever heard them? Grupo Sportivo. Yes. Fucking the B-22s, isn't it? (laughs) Musical equivalent of a plastic flower that squirts water. (laughs) They would have been given the welcome that Mark Chapman gave John Lennon. (laughs) Mark Ellen chips over to Camberwell to meet the first group to call themselves the band of the 80s. It's Landscape, who have set up their own label so they don't have to be nagged into having a lead singer or any vocals at all. 
Drummer and spokesperson Richard Burgess talks up their burgeoning following in the pub rock scene of London and that they've started to attract a punkier audience. But they're not worried about being gobbed on as their trombonist can reach six feet into the crowd and can also spit very accurately. Landscape pretty much were the the crystal palace of pop, weren't they? In the end, <laughs> Monty Smith is dispatched to South Bank Pole to catch a rear gig by Johnny Moped with a guest appearance by Captain Sensible. Backstage, he tries to get to the nub as to why they haven't caught on as well as their contemporaries and concludes that's because they can't be asked to tour. And Paul Rambali has a phoner with the latest Euro sensation, Plastic Bertrand, whose saplan pour moi has just soared from number 33 to number 19 over here, and gives a shout out to the writing and production team behind it, Luda Prick and Yves Le Comble, yeah. the sacred people. Mm. My audience ranges from little children to old people, says Bertrand. In 20 years' time, I will be a crooner like Sinatra. (laughs) Rambali also divulges that while Radio 1 is claiming the title is French for That's All Right By Me, Plan is actually French stoner slang for caned, and it actually means I'm high because of it all. (laughs) Sadly... Spoiler alert, Pulp Creation says that song is not on this episode of Top of the Pops. Yeah, for years I overlooked the fact that I knew perfectly well that plain in French is avion uh, in order to believe that that title meant that plain for me. Like he's about to catch a, like he's rushing to catch a plane, which is why he's so frantic in his demeanour. You know, like a, like a punkish burlesque of the international jet set. But sadly, it's, it's not quite that interesting. Single reviews. Well, your reviewer this week is Tony Parsons. Oh, mm, for fuck's sake. Gives us a bad name, that wanker. <laughs> and his single of the week is Jilted John by Jilted John. Spoiler alert, that's not on this episode either. It's a fucking great episode, though. Don't Don't panic. After wasting three paragraphs slagging off Elvis Costello for no discernible reason, he claims that Graham Fellows is destined to become to the 80s what Presley, Beatles and Rotten were to their respective decades, and that's an understatement. You you see, that's the kind of sentence that we get characterised by music journalists. Twatty sentences like that. Yeah. Arsehole. Sorry. Yeah. Bringing up the rear is We Are Socialists by Youth Man. Dialectical, though tender, a polemical exposition with room in its post-revolutionary heart for an abundance of human warmth. This resolute militancy comes across with the power of a love song capable of moving the listener to tears. Marching Men, the new single by the Rich Kids, gets a meaty thumbs up. The Matlockian melodic consciousness and monkey lyrical sensibility garnered by Gorgeous Glenn for their debut disc is bravely deserted with this commendable choice for a single. An ominously repetitive anti-Nazi pain penned by Midgeur and Werther of the Tom Robinson band. <sighs> as good as that. <laughs> However, it's a coat down for Miss You by the Rolling Stones. Oh, fucking hell. Old Mitchell in mouth is back doing his goat's head droop 
era Al Jolson oh, party Jesus piece while the stones sound to me like Jerry built faces touting for the trade of the Travolta market. So I need to interject there. Yeah. Fuck it. Misuse amazing. Yes, it is. It, yes, it's it fucking amazing. is. And, and also, sorry, if, if Tony Parsons, right, was one of my students, my music journalism students, sending me this shit, I would send it back. This is overwritten. The adjectives, he, oh, fuck. Anyway, carry on. I'm sorry. I'm getting, getting angry with this. <laughs> the Kinks are back with their new single, Rock and Roll Fantasy, but Parsons doesn't reckon it. Over insipid Lonnie Donegan acousticisms, King Conk Raimondo gets down on bend at mincing gate to wring his hands and beg his band through simpering sinus trouble not to end it all. Can We Still Be Friends by Todd Rundgren is given the shortest of shrift. We find Dobbin the Runt exercising his choir boy fetish with maudlin banality and leaving his handsome head out of his nosebag oats for just long enough to confirm all suspicions that his dulcet tones are absolutely identical to those of David's soul. Fuck off, that's a tune as well. This, this writing is phenomenally bad. Mm, it's, yeah. I mean, I get a cold sweat. Whenever one of the reviews I wrote when I was 23 gets reproduced somewhere, because they're mostly terrible, right? But fucking Parsons was much worse at that age. Mm. And look what happened. Fucking hell. Yeah. Parsons gives a thumb at right angles for airport by the motors. The motors! Last year's crow's foot encrusted HM notorious bondage birds with a Y have struck out for uncharted, potentially platinum territory. Yes, music haters, they want to be the new wave's Rick Wakeman. While Bang Bang by Squeeze is merely a three-chord hardening of the arteries and a weakening of their capability to gain access to the charts. And Silly Boy by Scylla Black is battered away thusly. So sad about Scylla. In these lean years without a Dion Warwick stateside hit to call her own, her mournful foghorn hounds plaintively in the strobe-lit darkness. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, but what's, what's he talking about? LP review section. Almost a full page is given over to the lead review for Thin Lizzy's double live LP, Live and Dangerous. Ah, now this. This is a little more like it, squeals Nick Kent, who calls it the best live LP since Stupidity by Dr. Feelgood. Lizzy are now easily the best mainstream hard rock band in the world, and this LP is the clincher. Live and Dangerous is as hot as they come and as hot as it gets. Lizzie have always played like warriors and this is an album made by heroes. <laughs> the second LP by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, You're Gonna Get It, is out now, but Roy Carr, who drooled over their debut 18 months ago, is disappointed by it. All the rough edges have been bevelled off and the intensity tempered to give one the impression that it's been purposely sanitised for FM radio acceptance. 
While their debut album and the promo-only live bootleg indicated that they were capable of rubbing shoulders with Elvis Costello, Thin Lizzy and Graham Parker, the new LP suffers from a lack of commitment and poor production. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are capable of much better things. And there's a half-page advert a couple of pages back, the headline of which reads, John Travolta sucks. Tom Petty rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven Tonight, the third LP by Cheap Trick in a mere 14 months, is gleefully seized upon by Paul Rambale. Cheap Trick have always been a cheeky, almost recklessly confident bunch. Here they've managed to align that audacity with a sense of purpose and inescapable musical growth and yet still sound like they've had more fun making the thing than any one band could have hoped for. Misfits, the 17th album by the Kinks, is, according to Marcus Smith, vintage Kinks with Ray Davis whining, pining, shining and maligning about his favourite topics. Losers, little men, dedicated followers, fashion, the crowd, the mundane, fantasy, escape, rock and roll, life. He doesn't say whether he likes it or not, though. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, it's always really funny when, when you see a review by someone whose name you don't recognise, and they've obviously spent a really long time on it. <laughs> it's like they think, this is the one that's going to propel me into the top rank. <laughs> Steve Clark reckons that Showdown by the Isley Brothers is dead good, but if you're expecting a radical departure from their 70s oeuvre because of the lead-off single Take Me to the Next Phase, don't. Rather, it's a honing down of the style they've been peddling to enormous success these past few years. Unlike numerous established acts, both black and white, the Isleys have steadfastly refused to move nearer to the middle of the road with each successive release and have hardened their music, stripping it down to a backbone of hard funk. And Neil Peters is massively unimpressed by a debut album which has found the American Top 30 with alarming speed, Van Halen by Van Halen. It's the same old HMXS judging by the cover. David Roth sees himself as the new Jim Dande, and on the record he yells, screams and shrieks as if someone were intermittently wrenching his balls. <laughs> and there isn't a track where Edward Van Halen doesn't play guitar solos so frenetic and fatuous they make <laughs> Richie Blackmore sound positively tasteful. But the most crushing condemnation of this album comes on the back cover, where, at the top of a long special thanks list, appears the name of Gene Simmons. You see, Van Halen are farmed out to that area uh, in the same way that I've never explored them because I've associated them with Kiss and I hate Kiss. Yeah. So I've just never bothered with Van Halen, but I probably should. I I mean, I'm, you know, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen, because I I hear he was a really good guy. So I should probably check out that early stuff. But, you know, all of those album reviews are not written really by big name writers, apart from the Nick Kent one um, Mm. that attained the fame that Tony Parsons did. But all of them are better written than Tony Parsons' singles reviews were. Yes. Yeah, I mean, when when Eddie Van Halen died, everyone's doing that usual Facebook thing of chucking up videos. Mm. 
I couldn't bring myself to do it because it's like, yeah, he seemed like a nice guy and everything. He was a fucking brilliant musician and everything. But, but David Lee Roth is a knob end. Yeah, that's it. So I, I just it. threw a beat it. <laughs> yeah, of course. And he did rip off Jim Dandy. Yes. David Lee Roth. Scandalously <laughs> so. The gig guide this week. Well, David could have seen XTC at the Marquee. John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett at the Rainbow. Gregory Isaacs at Lewis and Odeon. Bonnie Tyler at the Royal Festival Hall. The members at the West Hampstead Railway Hotel. Panties at the Canning Town Bridge House. Where, where, panties? Panties, yes. <laughs> Can you imagine coming into the office the next day? So, oh, what did you do last night? Oh, I went to see Panties <laughs> Canning Town. It was one of my mum's favourite wind-up things. Whenever we went shopping for clothes, even though I'm a male, obviously, yeah. um, if she was buying me pants when I was like 10 years old or something, she would shout in the shop, not shout, but say, Neil, do you need some panties? Oh, no! To really fucking embarrass me, yeah. My mum was, had a vindictive streak to her. <laughs> it just reeks of the 70s, doesn't it? That it's, word? Not, it's a sexy word with two E's at the end. It, it, I still like that word, panties. Do you? Yeah, I don't use it, but no. I don't mind it. I don't object to that. Neil, my advice, don't. <laughs> I don't think I've ever I've ever asked a, 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 a woman, oh, you know, do, do, do you want to take your panties off? <laughs> yeah, but do you say pants? Because pants is a bit, I don't know. No, t- pants is male. Yeah, yeah I guess I so. just say drawers. That covers everything, doesn't it? I said to a woman once, do you want to take your panties off? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, I got sanctioned. <laughs> That's a really poor, poor <laughs> joke, isn't it? That's, that's really, really lazy. I really need to know what panties sound like. The sound of panties. No. Panties at the Canning Town Bridge House. The two Ronnies summer season at the London Palladium. Or Fred Rickshaw's hot ghoulies at the Rutlands in Hammersmith. <laughs> But probably didn't. I can't imagine David ever going to see Panties. <laughs> what an assortment of entertainment, eh? London swing like a pendulum do. Yes. <laughs> Taylor could have seen the Buzzcocks at the Mayfair Suite, XTC at Barbarella's, yeah. George Benson at the Hippodrome, Ooh. the Armpit Jug Band at the King's Eve Here and Harms, Guys and dogs for a whole week at the King's Club. Yes. <laughs> Bring me scampi. Gene Pitney for a whole week at the Night Out. Split ends at Barbarella's. Ooh. Ricky Cool and the Icebergs at the mm. Pastoral Centre. Or Elkie Brooks, supported by all her looks at the <laughs> Birmingham Odeon. <laughs> Neil could have seen the Steve Gibbons band at the Locarno, Lindisfarne at Warwick University. No, I couldn't have seen that. They hate me there. <laughs> Ian Jury and the Blockheads at the Coventry Theatre, oh, the Motors at the Locarno, Black Sabbath at the Coventry Theatre, oh, or have his head turned by the bright lights of Wolverhampton with Sham 69 at the Civic Hall. Whoa. Fucking hell. All human life is in Coventry this week. Absolutely. Sarah could have seen Cyanide at the Doncaster Outlook Club, Harry Shapin at Sheffield City Hall, David Price and the Galactic Symposium at the Pack Horse in Leeds, <laughs> <laughs> the Pleasers at the Sheffield Top Rank, Beano at the Whole Piper Club, or Ethel the Frog at Brannigan's Bar in Leeds. Because where else would you hold a Galactic Symposium? <laughs> 
Al could have seen Peter and the test tube babies at the hearty good fellow. Slip Hazard and the blizzards at the Imperial Hotel. Grupo Sportivo at the Sandpiper. Or packed his Oxford bags into an Adidas hold-all and hitchhiked down to Melton Mowbray for a three-night stand by Wigan's ovation <laughs> at the Painted Lady. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. A Northern Soul three-dayer <laughs> of skiing in the snow. <laughs> And Simon could have seen girls' school at the Port Talbot Troubadour, Tony McPhee and Terraplane at Cardiff Top Rank, and girls' school again at Swansea Circle Club. Oh, Wales! Mm. Getting the shitty end of the stick again. Well, you say that. I mean, two girls' school gigs. In the letters page, Monty Smith is in the chair this week, and the main topic of conversation is Nick Kent's coat down of Power in the Darkness by the Tom Robinson Band. Okay, so ageing scribe Nick Kent thinks Power in the Darkness fails as a rock and roll album. I disagree, says Nick Mercer of Panache. Until you write something bearing a 20th of the merit of Winter of 79, then you don't deserve to be in the same room as the object of your scorn. Until then, keep your mouth shut before the sheep start sussing you out. <laughs> That's a terrifying prospect. Well, ageing scribe. Nick, yes. Nick, Nick Kent's 27, isn't he? By that. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd hate to be sussed out by some sheep. <laughs> You just your life wouldn't be worth living. <laughs> to Nick Kent, all we can say about your review of the TRB album is bollocks. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Writes two incensed TRB fans. <laughs> I got out of Borstal last Wednesday, says R. E. Lee's of Stevenage. <laughs> While doing my bird, I received your mag every week. Great, but some of the things I read really used to do me in. I wanted to write and give my view, for all it's worth, but I couldn't. Now I'm home, and there's nothing in your paper to rile me, apart from Kent's TRB review. My God, if he wants to slag TRB, that's his affair, but the way he puts it over as if he really feels bad about doing it. Why? He's never worried before. Sing if you're glad, Nick. Nuff said. Uh, Basically, what you say there is, Nick Kent, where's your tool? (laughs) What tool? This fucking tool! Who's the daddy? Uh, (laughs) However, Rich, an art student from Leicester, has Kent's back. I was driving home last night and TRB came on the radio, singing what sounds like a rather innocuous ditty called Power in the Darkness. I wasn't taking much notice until he started talking in a posh voice about freedom from pansies, punks, football hooligans, women's libbers and so on. He was being ironic, sarcastic and satirical, but then I realised that the sentiments he was taking the piss out of were the sentiments of the ordinary people of England. Tom Robinson speaks in a retired colonel's voice, but that is to disguise the fact that he knows that the ordinary people are against him. If he had power, he would obviously persecute the people who held those views. And that means that every normal person in this country is in danger from the people who attend his concerts and buy his album. Robinson is homosexual anyway and doing it all out of self-interest. He is a bigot. Beware the new fascism. (laughs) Wait a minute. 
what is this rhetorical game of marble madness? <laughs> is, the, I, is it is it supposed to be funny? I can't tell. Well, it's like Black no, Lives Matter no. protesters are the real fascists. Yes. He's just airing his genuine concerns, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all becomes clear. Rock music is a joke, says Cliff Richard, fan of London. Enemy journalists get their knickers in a twist over Blondie copping out, but perhaps what really frightens them is that the whole rock and roll circus and their part in it threatens the establishment as much as Crossroads. Ooh, harsh words. Bit unfair to Crossroads, that. A bit unfair. What are they, yeah, what's they brought about? up many, uh, many an issue, like, you know, um, old women shoplifting. Huh? Yeah. Um, lawn mowers getting out of control. Fires. That's an issue. Yeah. That that is an issue. Yeah. What's the other about though? Enemy journalists get their knickers in a twist over Blondie copping out. What have Blondie copped out of? Any ideas? Well, they were having hit records or something. I don't know. Ah, oh, right. Got you. Here's another nail to knock into the coffin of the Stranglers and any credibility they have left, writes Paul Drew of Plymouth. Yes, the tune of their latest money spinner, Nice and Sleazy, bears more than a passing resemblance to Charlie Chaplin's first ever screen song in modern times. That song, too, had nonsense lyrics. Are the Dave Greenfield quartet running out of ideas or time, and who cares? (laughs) Meanwhile, Moll Esther, think about it, of St. Neots asks, all I want to know is, does Joyce McKinney give lessons in getting off Mormon chastity garments in one foul swipe and chaining them up? P.S. Any chance of full frontals of the Stranglers? Smith responds by saying, The Daily Mirror's been boring the pants off the nation with facts and pics of the old slag all week. (gasps) Different times. And providing a photo of Jean-Jacques Burnell with his T-shirt up and his trousers down with his tackle buried between his legs to make it look as if he has a fanny. Touché, sir. Touché. It's 1978 shit, isn't it? Who needs this (laughs) dirty newsprint fucking... Can of beer and a leather jacket, unwashed schoolboy version of rock and roll. Mm. This is what authenticity was in 1978. You know what I mean? So who, with a soul, would not hear the string arrangement on a disco record and instinctively grab at it Mm. in the hope that it might haul you out of this quicksand like a helicopter with a ladder dangling from it? (laughs) You know. The 80s make a lot more sense when you look at this stuff. Yeah. 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 Anthony Bass of Darbet is incandescent with rage over the enemy reporting that Steel Pulsar performed their new single Ku Klux Klan at a gig and said it would be dead good to shoot perpetuators of racial attacks and not having a go at them for it. Don't look now, but your mask of trendy socialism has slipped. You don't have to be white to be a bigot. Are you that blind that some of you can't accept that to be black don't mean you're always right? (sighs) Fucking hell. Get your priorities in order. Yeah. And an amazed Lizzie fan of Derbyshire writes, What the bloody hell happened to Top of the Pops on May the 11th? First we see Thin Lizzy, no less, and then we were amazed by Ian Jure, Sham69, Blonde, Patty Smith, and last but not least, Tom Robinson. But who were them twats from Newcastle? 
that, that was Golda with uh, breaking up again. They made a balls of it, but no one's perfect, eh? No doubt back to the same moronic rubbish next week. <laughs> Top of the Pops game, big dub in the latest page of the NME. You never know, they might repeat a couple of those clips. Mm. 72 pages, 18 pennies. I never knew there was so much in it. 18 pence, that is, even with the shit, that is a bargain. So what else was on telly this day? Well... BBC One kicks off at 6.40am with a triple shot of open university action, then shuts down at 7.55, then reopens at 9.41 for a schools and colleges splurge, and then shuts down for an hour and five minutes. At 12.35, Bob Hoskins, Patricia Hayes and Martin Shaw unite for On The Move. Then it's the news, Pebble Mill at one, Chigler and you and me. After closing down for 21 minutes, it's the school's programme Merry-Go-Round, which lasts nine minutes. Then it closes down again for an hour and ten minutes before coming back hard with regional news in your area, play school, Sinbad and the Magnetic Mountain, Heads and Tails, Laugh Olympics, Blue Peter and Rhubarb. After the news, it's nationwide in Europe, live from Brussels, as it has been all week, and tonight they're looking at all the funny food foreigners eat, like pasta. <laughs> nationwide in Europe. But that doesn't work, does it? They've just finished Tomorrow's World, where Michael Rod has put the shits up your mum about the dangers of being irradiated by a microwave oven, and Judith Hand tries out a suitcase that converts into a bed. I saw something just like that on Facebook today. Yeah, what, being sold by Wish? Yes. <laughs> BBC Two like its one-year counterpart, starts at 6.40 with the Open University, also shuts down at 7.55 and then fucks off for three hours and five minutes before coming back with play school. Then it closes down again, this time for five and a half hours. Then it hits us with two and a bit hours of the Open University again, the news <laughs> on two headlines, the documentary series The Engineers, where we get to spend the day with the director of manufacturing at Perkins Engines in Peterborough, which essentially involves watching him having his breakfast and presenting cups at the sports club dinner and dance. They've just started Newsday. ITV commences at 9.30 with two and a half hours of school's programming. Then Valerie Pitts reads The Porcelain Man by Richard Kennedy in Gammon and Spinach. Jeffrey, in what? It, gammon, gammon and Spinach? <laughs> gammon and Spinach, yeah. It's a hilarious uh, sitcom about a 56-year-old racist forced to share a flat with a self-righteous 21-year-old vegan. <laughs> Would watch. That's waiting to be written, Taylor. Yes. Busy, man. Yes, it really is. Jeffrey shows Bungle, Zippy and George how he puts on his socks and shoes in Rainbow, followed by <laughs> Treasures in Store, one of the few network programmes produced by Border, which features somebody looking at Abbeys and the like. After News at One and regional news in your area, it's Crown Court, Afternoon with Mavis Nicholson, Three. The Crez, the drama series about the Brontes, Quick on the draw with Michael Benteen, Spike Milligan, Bill Tidy and Paul Trevelyan. Fucking hell. Oh, Paul Trevelyan. Yes. The artist responsible for You Are The Rest. Yes. In shoot. Mm. Along with uh, Stan Lover, chairman of the London Referees Association. <laughs> <laughs> then it's the Sullivans. 
Lasse, Little House on the Prairie, the news at 5.45, and of course, regional news in your area. Doris Luke is mithering about Benny in Crossroads. A skeleton has been uncovered in Emmerdale Farm, and they've just started the 1973 film The Thief Who Came to Dinner, where Ryan O'Neill packs in his job as a computer analyst to become a jewel thief with his girlfriend, Jacqueline Bissett. Anything jumping out there, chaps? For the past three minutes, whilst you've been reading all of that, all that's been going through my head is, um, on the move, (laughs) on the move, we're on our way again. I mean, reason being is because whenever we were on a motorway, and we saw those signs, you know, those those um, those kind of black and white chevron signs yeah. that kind of indicate how to go round a roundabout. We would sing that theme tune on the move because that was a big part of the title yeah. sequence of that show. So, yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that show until you mentioned it. You know who did it, Neil? Uh, the song? Um, I don't, actually. I'll know. The Doolies. Ah. We're we ghoulies. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, what a DOS job working at... BBC television was in them days. Yeah. Oh, let's put this school's programme on for nine minutes, then oh, let's all fuck off to the pub for five hours. <laughs> it's one of those days where you just scan the listings and it's like, yeah, bring back the golden age of television. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> mm. You know what would have really struck me as dull as well? It's that patch that ITV hit in the afternoon there with Lassie and yeah. Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, that fuck that. Fuck that's not, off, that's no. not kids. No, that's not kids. Little House on the Prairie. Fuck that. That's your mum's programme. <laughs> I remember a mate of mine complaining round about this time that he had to sit there and watch Little House on the Prairie. And the main story was a lad who had to have his leg cut off mm. with a saw because he had gangrene. Mm. And his dad cried all the way through it. And he said it was just the most crappiest hour he'd ever spent but, in his life. But that's the thing. With Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons... They were actually upsetting. They were too emotional um, yeah. when you were a kid. You didn't really want to watch that at all. No, and knowing that Lassie was dead as well while you're watching it, <laughs> that's not good either. <laughs> sort yourself out, ITV. Let's have, let's have some real kids' issues. Yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't know that Lassie was dead, then my sister would have been there with her usual yeah. helpful "that dog's dead" information. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, chaps, I do believe that in the picnic of episodes um the, the cloth has been laid out with all the cutlery and everything mm. so we can uh, we can have a proper go at this episode of top of the pops in the next part don't you think definitely yeah. let's tuck in yeah yes well slew time for a feast day readers <laughs> and on that note i'm going to bid you farewell thank you very much neil kulkana no worries Al. god bless you taylor parks yes my name's al needham see you for part two very soon stay mint stay skill But above all, stay pop crazed. Sharp music. Hello, I'm Jack Beaumont. I do Crime Club. In Series 1, I spoke to people like this. Did you not kick a policeman in the head? Yeah, that was... When was that? I was 17. Wait, was I 17 or 19? I think I might have been 19, actually. In Series 2, I talked to people like this. There was a paedophile with one leg. I kicked him clean out of his wheelchair. About four of us... I mean, we battered him. And this. Cheated on your boyfriend and give him gonorrhea? Do you want to go there or would you rather not? Yeah, no, 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 I could talk about it. I have jingles like this. That's Crime Club, where strange people tell stories involving bad behaviour. New episodes out every Monday. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.